Hello, all you brothers out there. It's Alex. Before we get into this episode, I need to start with an editor's note. This week, we talked about Skinwalker Ranch. This is a place in Utah where very strange things happen. And we had some recording issues while talking about the ranch. This is not made up to sensationalize this episode. We've never had these problems before, but portions of our audio were just not recorded. Entire minutes at a time that were just not recorded. So that we'll be talking about one thing and suddenly we're talking about another thing during playback. So I've done my best to edit something that makes sense out of this weird mess of a recording. But it is going to be a little janky. I apologize. I wish I could say this, this were made up because it's a little, it's a little freaky. Editor's note two. Now that I've actually completed the edit on this, I know what is missing from our recording. You may find this segment on Skinworker Ranch a little on the boring side, and that's because all of the actual interesting stuff is missing. Take that as you will. Enjoy the episode. This week on Another Brother. Skinwalker Ranch. Oh my gosh. Okay, ready? Are you guys ready for... I think this is going to be the hot take. <laughs> when you're watching the show, this is for all my listeners, please. <laughs> when you're watching the show, realize that it's History Channel. Yeah. And the editing, they're just trying to get viewership. Radiation burns. People being so, hospitalized because of really uh, weird things happening. Uh, I, I don't know. So much stuff. Skinwalker Ranch. Oh my gosh. Okay, ready? Are you guys ready for? I think this is going to be the hot take. <laughs> I'm a skeptic. Ah, uh, okay. I've seen four episodes, I think, now of season one of the History Channel show. Yeah. I haven't listened to any of the podcast. Part of your problem. Keep going. <laughs> That's what you've said, yeah. I'm, I'm just not buying that they're doing their due diligence, I'm gonna, which could totally be uh, it. <laughs> I'm going to time out it real quick right there. We're going to back up for the listener. Skinwalker Ranch. This is a ranch in eastern Utah. Northeastern. Northeastern. Thank yeah. you. Large property, 530, 512 acres. Lots of weird stuff going on there for decades, if not a couple century. Hundreds of years if you count the Ute and Navajo records. Right. Which is where the name comes from, is the native tribes. Native American skinwalkers, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go back at it. I think that's enough background. So I'll just say it's it's understandable from my perspective for you to be a skeptic if all you've done is watch the show because... I was the same. Josh has debate voice on. Oh, do I? <laughs> yeah. It's just the gain on the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a hundred percent believer and we can get into it, but I don't want to like spoil season two and season three and all these things. Right. But they're trying to be deliberate. They're trying to go by the scientific method. So like hypothesis, test, conclusion, hypothesis, test, conclusion. Is and, that made more clear in the podcast? Because absolutely. the TV show... Makes their scientific method look like pee-pee. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I got really upset by that. And so that's when I found the podcast. 
but yeah, so all these guys are super uncomfortable behind the camera. Eric is, and Eric mentions it in the podcast. He's like, I would rather be by myself in the command center crunching data. Yeah. He does come off that way. But Tom mm-hmm. really, I think around season two, he, I this think is he, the superintendent of the property, which you're like, okay, he's, you know, he's got the cowboy hat. You learn that he's a very successful businessman. Hmm. He's the president of like the Rotary Club or something. He's the president of a nonprofit international aid organization. Wow. I mean, he seems like a really nice guy. He does. He and that's, he's awesome. becoming my favorite. Because if nothing else, the one thing that I feel from him, he feels earnest. Yeah. He's like, um, he's like the Batman of the super friends. He's like the human element. You yeah. know, the one guy that doesn't have the superpowers <laughs> that you're like, you I can get. Yeah. Yeah, and he just works hard. He's like, all right, well, let's, yeah. let's go do it. He's like, what are you talking about? Come on. And he'll, yeah. he'll grab the cases. He'll, mm-hmm. what do you mean I can't dig? Yes, I'm going to exactly. go dig. Yeah. Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. what about Dragon, though? What, what oh, were you oh, going to say, about, say dragon? about Dragon? Um, I also apologize. <laughs> I was like, even now I'm in season three, I'm like, come on, Bryant. Is it really Bryant? Oh, that's right. Okay. Like, yeah. dial it back, man. <laughs> You're a little... <laughs> You're a little extra. <laughs> but um, in the podcast, like, he comes across as very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Very, I'll listen to that Very well-meaning. And you learn, first episode he's on, you learn, because I'm like, who calls himself Dragon? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. It's not his nickname. Well, I mean, because well, almost none of them call him Dragon a, in the right, show. There was a security the guard does. on the yes. ranch before him whose code sign or call sign was Dragon. And someone on the way out had called him drag because he's a new security guy so, so they, you're the new dragon they called him dragon and then okay. i think somehow it stuck brandon probably thought it was funny brandon the owner was funny. of the ranch yeah and they're longtime friends they were mission companions oh cool. uh, that, dragon, that was it dragon yeah. or bryant was brandon's mission trainer huh. in hawaii um, and now <laughs> employs him yeah yes and Weird um how life works sometimes so but also in hawaii yeah those lucky um, <laughs> I, I went to Italy. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> no one's as lucky as me. I went to Dallas. Yeah, like Sam, <laughs> the one who went to Siberia. So, <laughs> but uh, the ranch, ranch hands, Candace and oh, uh-huh. um, shoot, not familiar with them yet. Was it Thomas as Probably well? Not. No, I don't think so. Well, he and Brandon are life lifelong friends. They right, they're together. both from Pleasant Grove. Yeah, as well as Candace, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's just this, I don't know, it's cool, but I, I feel like they, he selected, well, Candace is a an, anthropologist, uh, published anthropologist. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yep. All of these people, it's like shocking what they actually know the, and have done. The lady yeah. that lives in that house, mm-hmm. that they go into the basement and there's like this yeah. weird mm-hmm. sealed hole. off box. That's yeah, them. Hole into it. Really? Yep. Published anthropologist. Wow. Neat. And <laughs> and they start using her later to go collect. Well, she's she's more involved in this, but but she'll go and like try to collect like the local folklore oh, and cool. do like an anthropology wow. perspective. Nice. So anyway, the people, whatever you when you're watching the show, this is for all my listeners, please. <laughs> when you're watching the show, realize that it's History Channel. Yeah. And the editing, they're just trying to get viewership. It truly feels like Pawn Stars. <laughs> <laughs> it feels formulaic. It feels it, it does. history channel. It, it's very the, the show itself is produced very much as a history channel yeah. show. And this 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 executive producer uh, TJ, he's the one that got the whole show started. It took him a year to convince. He started talking with Thomas. It superintendent. Took him, yeah, 
it took him a year of working through these guys, gaining trust, talking to Brandon Fugel to finally get them to agree that a show could be a good idea. Mm. They did not want this. Wow. Because he sold it hard. I thought for sure he bought the property hoping for something like nope, this to that's happen. That's kind of what I figured too as, a, as an investment to start making that yeah, kind no. of money off of. And you'll see as in like season two and three, you'll see he, Brandon is like invested for personal reasons. You can He's like driven. Okay. I mean, that is what to he said out. at the beginning yeah. of the show. You can really tell. Some of the most mind-blown expressions are coming from Brandon when they show him some of the stuff. Yeah. Mm. It's awesome. But, so, uh, yeah. yeah, Brandon Fugel, he's like one of the biggest... Real estate, Real estate developers, yeah, in the country. You'll see his name on all these nice new office yeah. lease buildings. He's a legit mogul. The owner before him, the owner of the ranch before him was Robert Bigelow, who is the owner of Bigelow, Bigelow Aerospace. Aerospace. Billionaire. So he owned the ranch for 20 years. And with some branch of the government, they were doing something very similar where they were doing all these scientific experiments trying to figure out what is going on here. With with NIDS, what's what's NIDS stand for? Oh shoot, National uh, Invest- <laughs> Investigative Development Science or something, something like that. It's basically yeah. A lot of people will talk bad about NIDS as like a pseudoscience for, but but that's what they he developed NIDS for is to to come to terms with observational science mm, on so like phenomena. It's like Mulder on the on the X Files. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so he was funding and, and helping research with the government. Through ATIP contracts. Oh, it was okay. ATIP program. Since it was with the government, pretty much everything that they did and found and saw is classified or... Or proprietary uh, information yeah. or confidential. Right. So the cool thing is where now Brandon, a private owner, owns it and is doing the research on his own. He's Part of the intent was to make it all public and visible for everyone. And they do it. So I recently joined this <laughs> Skinwalker so. Ranch Insider Program. Yeah. Do you have to pay for it? Uh, it's seven seven days free, <laughs> and you get a shirt. So Josh is wearing mm. Seth's shirt right now. Mm. <laughs> but uh, they give you access to their live camera feeds and oh, okay, and okay, spreadsheets okay. full of data. That's cool. And you can help kind of crowdsource data points from the camera feeds. Because it's impossible to like store all 20, like they have so many cameras now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it'll be so impossible cool. to store that data permanently. So they're reliant on volunteers, basically paid participants to watch the camera feeds when they can. I'm sorry, to, volunteers or paid, paid participants? I mean, you're paying to participate, right? Oh, paid That's participation. What I mean. Yes. You're you're buying in. You're not being paid. You are paying yeah, to be, join the community. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're recording anomalous and phenomena. And flagging when you see weird yep, things. You, put, you fill out the spreadsheet when you see it. Timestamp wow. it. All that stuff. Mm. And there's you look at these spreadsheets. It is They are full of data points from just crowd, crowdsourced. <sighs> Sounds like a nightmare to me. I hate spreadsheets full of data. <laughs> oh, I love... <laughs> I love data. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what you talk about. But it, <laughs> with Skinwalker Ranch and their chats. <laughs> so much data. Uh, I mean, so I know I know we're on a time crunch, and I could literally talk about this for days and days and days. But since you guys, you're in season two, Jacob? Yeah, maybe Alex, halfway through. Alex, you're halfway through season one. Yeah. So I'll wait. 
I don't mind spoilers, truly. But I just want to say a few things. Like, <laughs> I grew up on the History Channel and on Discovery Channel. I think all three of us did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the What makes this show different to me than, like, any of the others, like all the Bigfoot shows I watch. The Ghost Hunter shows. Ghost, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that is very much in the same vein. They're actually getting super weird, unexplainable, anomalous data and things happening every single episode and again the episodes are so such a condensed time frame of all of the experimentations that they're doing and everything that they're doing throughout the entire year so it's i don't know it's crazy to me it is crazy i think there's a lot of radiation burns people being hospitalized because of really weird things happening uh I, i don't know so much stuff and and okay can I tell you? Oh, there's so much I could go into, but I want to tell you. Okay, I'm watching the show to get the information, I not know. to watch the show. Oh, I know, I know. So I don't care how I get the uh, information. So okay, I just want to tell one quick thing. Oh, dang it! I just want to, okay, first, backpedal real quick. Conspiracy theory, <laughs> <laughs> like, but just random connections, right? So Robert Bigelow from the state of Senator Harry Reid, same state. Harry Reid. Mm. Is the one mostly responsible for funding a tip and getting it going. Mm. Big twenty million dollar contract goes to Robert Bigelow, one mm. of his big campaign funders in mm-hmm. his from his state. Mm. Um, you scratch my bike, I scratch yours. Yep, Harry Reid is LDS. Oh, you didn't know that? No, uh, I think he was a state president at some point. So Harry Reid, LDS, major. After all the data he's seen presented in Congress and through like the House and Senate Select Committees of Intelligence and things, he he has some interviews where he basically is like, yeah, I, there's something there. And so he's willing to go out and fund this stuff. So Robert Bigelow passes the property off to Brandon Fugel, very strong, confident LDS member. Mm-hmm. And I think the majority, if not all of his staff on the ranch or LDS. I'm in love with his helicopter. That thing is beautiful. (laughs) And Governor Herbert ends up getting on the show. Also the Utah State Attorney General. Yes. Saw that one. Season two, I think, or beginning of season two. Interesting. Yes. There's, um, and, okay. And Travis Taylor, the PhD, PhD Uh astrophysicist, he no one knew this until after he left government service, federal service. So now he's contracting. Sometime around the middle of season one, he gets approached by the director of the UAP task force, the new UAP task force, so post a tip, yeah, to be a. I don't know the titles; they get titles get mixed up, right? But to be a lead scientist for the UAP task force, yeah. He does that for three years. So he does that during season two, season three, and season four. Whoa, wait a minute. And no one on the show knows. during the... Yes. But then they've changed the lower thirds since then because that's listed. Oh, really? In the episodes that I've seen as a credential of his. No, there's no way. I'm telling you, man, it was listed. UAP programs. Programs. Okay. I I mean... I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it said, but yeah. it sure sounds like what you're saying There's right no, now. Okay. Well, it must be It must be a little bit different, though, because I watched the Q&A that they provide on Skinwalker Insider, where he, like, 
tells them. And this is after season four. After? Yeah. Season four. yeah. Like he fairly recently left federal service. Well, I mean, they could have updated those and republished on, on their streaming because that's where yeah. I'm watching yeah. is their app. Yeah, maybe. Um, the point being, although he's covered by like classification issues and he helped write the classification guide for the UAP task force program. So he helped him and the director of the program helped determine what type of information they collect is and isn't classified and at what levels is classified and how you can share it and disseminate it. Wow. Interesting. So given that knowledge and his non-disclosure agreements with both Brandon Fugel and History Channel and the UAP task force and the federal government. That's what I was just going to say. This was like conflicts of interest. Between yeah, the yeah two. sounds like no. a nightmare. But, and, and they talk about it in, in one of these Q's and A's, but he did at times use his guilty knowledge when he could to help steer the experiments going <laughs> on at the range. Yeah. And, and vice versa. <laughs> so this guy, this man <laughs> is committed. He's in it. And yeah. he, he was, a, he appeared to be quite a skeptic before getting to the ranch. Yeah. But I mean, he published this book called like how to defend the earth from an alien invasion. Right. He's written two pieces of, of science fiction. <laughs> but okay. that well, oh yeah, but it was science fiction. Yes, he yeah. So so anyway, just it's fascinating, fascinating people, fascinating characters, great backgrounds and knowledge. Okay, can, the one thing I want to tell you, can <laughs> I better make it quick? No one else, because okay. I have to leave us on a cliffhanger. So you go. Okay, okay, okay. So forward-looking infrared detects heat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Homestead two. Homestead two. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. So they the epicenter. They put up two. Or they put up multiple forward-looking infrared cameras on the Mesa looking down at the front of Homestead 2. Oh, okay. So you're basically looking like right at the front door. That's the reverse of what I've seen so far. Okay. So now that's you're cool. looking, Yeah, now you're looking down at it. Yeah. Apparently, there's some Jewish rabbinic tradition. Yes, we just watched this episode. Did you? Like, this is the last episode we watched, So you I know think. what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Okay. Some rabbinic tradition where they believe they have this thing that they call tonal technology. Technology in the terms of like the anthrop- anthropology yeah. technology, right? Yeah. So it's total technology where given the right, I'm assuming voice frequencies, analog frequencies and words and procedures, they believe they can open and close gates or portals to inner dimensions. There was a horror game on the Nintendo Wii based on this a little bit. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Jewish? Like yes. specifically? Yes, specifically Jewish. Oh, wow. Uh, mythology. So, huh. Okay. So, that background, right? So, they set up this safe place. Uh, again, it's part of the, the Jewish tradition behind this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you create like a holy center where you can, where you're safe and whatever you might invite, invite is also safe. Harm you. Oh, yeah. So, one last thing. Just a cliffhanger to keep everyone interested in the development of Skinwalker Ranch. I might have some connections. One of my coworkers... He personally knows Cameron Fugel, Brandon Fugel's brother, who flies the helicopter in the show to get them to the ranch. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful. See, Matt, my brother-in-law, Matt's dad, knows Brandon Fugel professionally. Uh, So, maybe not super close, but he probably has contact with the guy, maybe. Mm -hmm. And last and best, Heather's uncle knows him, I, I assume, again, professionally, but professionally well enough that it's like personal terms now, too. 
Is this the one that's been invited on the ranch before? He has been invited yeah. to Skinwalker Ranch. And accepted? He has not taken Brandon up on the invitation yet. <clears throat> Standing invitation. Unfulfilled. So, I'll be mean, working those contacts. <laughs> See what I can do, what I can do to get us on the ranch. <laughs> Make those cold calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heather's uncle is going to be my, uh, my main approach here, though. Well, I sent a connection request on LinkedIn to Brandon. You did? That's funny. I oh, just, wow. I just looked him up <laughs> that is yesterday, aggressive. too. <laughs> I have 11 common contacts. Oh, dang. Yeah. I, have, I have five, yeah. but 11. Right? So, I that's mean, right. That's right. Not as aggressive as I, as I was thinking. Brandon, if your secretary or your executive assistant is listening to this, we should already be friends. We should already be connected. <laughs> Let's make this happen. <laughs> You're right. I need to update my LinkedIn to say... Editor, producer, director, content creator. Brother. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, Hey, kids. Do you know what time it is? Story time! This is a mental health warning. If you are not comfortable with the subject of mental health, I don't recommend listening to this. I guess the, the 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 more important trigger warning is suicide trigger warning. That is going to be talked about a tiny bit, not not a lot, you know. But there you go. So this story deals with a form of therapy that's relatively new to me called IFS, Internal Family Systems. I'm going to try to give a brief overview of mental health journey and methods and stuff to this point to where I started IFS as quickly as possible. This is just really rough. So for more than a decade, I have been doing talk therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy with the best in the business down in Provo Canyon Counseling. They're amazing. And I, I got a lot of benefit out of doing that. It helped me a lot with a lot of different things, how I viewed myself and dealing with uh, depression and anxiety. But nevertheless, I never felt like I was really fully healed. So when I heard about EMDR not very long ago, a handful of months ago, maybe, I don't know, six months ago, I wanted to give that a try. So I started EMDR. And that's and the rapid eye movement. That's based on rapid eye movement, science, neuroscience, uh, how the bilateral stimulation of the brain through the rapid movement of your eyes while sleeping allows the brain to sort memories, to put them away so that if you have PTSD, uh, you're stuck in a memory. You have memories that are not being processed properly, and this helps you to process them, put them away, and uh, basically recover from PTSD. Sometimes EMDR isn't quite enough, and you have something else in your way. If you go through enough trauma, your personality will go into subdivisions, and this this gets really weird and freaky. And I was hugely skeptical of this process. But if, if you go through enough trauma, you have these sub personalities within your psyche. And if it's really bad, that's where like multiple personality dissociative identity disorder comes from. Like those personalities get so separated from your core that they can take over and your core personality is basically unconscious for all of that time. That is not what this deals with. Uh, I do not have DID. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so so DID being kind of the ex 
stream yeah. where your sub personalities are in control of the show. Right. And possibly switching who's in control when. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like how you can be narcissistic without having narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder uh, is extreme, but lots of people have a little bit of narcissism. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I think. Right. Um, so okay. my therapist, while we were doing some EMDR, uh, he was helping me process a memory. And while we were doing the process, uh, I don't think I have enough time to talk about EMDR as a process, unfortunately. But as we were doing that, I had imagery of an older me holding the hand of a very little me in this memory type state going around and telling the bullies to piss off. And Can I pause, pause real quick? Yeah. So with EMDR, so as you're processing memories, mm-hmm. it's a like semi dreamlike state is for that part. And or is the therapist instructing you like, okay, now you're going to be in this memory as adult Alex. He did not say any of that. Okay. He said, he basically said, think about this painful memory. And then he takes me through like uh, slow taps is how we do it, where I have my arms crossed with hands on my biceps, basically. And I'll tap my right hand on my left arm, my left hand on my right arm, slowly back and forth while thinking about this memory. And as I do so, it starts to take on a life of its own as if I were dreaming. I'm fully conscious, fully awake. But the more I surrender to letting it just do what it's going to do, the better the outcome in my experience so far. So what happens that you you happened in this example of the memory, you yeah. happened to manifest yourself. It just happened on its own. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. So while we were doing that, he was like, later, he was like, it looks to me like we might want to integrate some IFS into this process because it kind of just happened on its own. It, it looks like you might benefit from that. And I was like, I have no idea what that is, but I'm open to anything. So in a later session, he tells me what IFS is. And in my head, I think it's bullcrap. I am so skeptical of it. It sounds like another BS. Um, Pseudoscience. Visualization technique. Oh, and visualization yeah. techniques have never meant anything to me. Like, they just seem hokey and stupid to me. I know a lot of people get a lot of benefit out of it. And I wish that I had been one of those people, but it just always felt dumb and weird to me. But I was also open to anything to help make this work a little better. So he said, he told me to find a painful memory that I wanted to work on that I felt that maybe EMDR wasn't helping me with enough. Mm. So I thought of a memory. I closed my eyes just because I thought it was easier. And I pictured where I was during this memory, brought that into my mind very clearly. And I started playing the the most painful part of the memory kind of on a loop. Almost like I was... That sounds rough. Almost like um, in the movie Captain Marvel, when she's in that weird machine that the scrolls put her in that allow them to like rewind and watch her memories. Uh, There's a part of the memory where she's talking to... We don't know, in spoiler alert, we don't, for the movie, we don't know at the time that uh, this lady that she worked with, that she test piloted with, was an alien, but she was. Uh, and they're trying to find this alien's name. She keeps turning around, and that lady is there at the start of the memory again. And then she'll go through the whole memory, and they'll say, no, we need more. And she turns, 
around and there she is again and she just keeps replaying the memory on a loop don't know why i brought that up you guys aren't familiar with the scenes the other gal is like an older yeah older middle aged white, white lady yeah oh okay. i remember okay. this yeah. yeah fun and great in a marvel movie but yeah in real practice with it being a traumatic memory that sounds rough mm. i mean it was fine oh. you know okay i just i i guess i've got enough grit that i want to get this done that i don't care about mm. what what it takes but yeah um okay so i'm playing that most painful part on a loop and i'm i'm able to like kind of separate myself from it and focus on what i'm feeling that's what he wants me to do start naming all of the emotions that i'm feeling so i start listing off a bunch of things and he's able to take that list of feelings and organize it into three groups hmm. These three groups are based on the three types of subpersonalities one can have within oh, them in okay. this model of mental health, internal family systems. The three types of subpersonality are the exile. This is the core of the family system. Then there is the protector or manager. And finally, the firefighter or rescuer. The exile takes a wound from a trauma and says, I'm going to carry this so the core person doesn't have to, and they try to go and hide. The manager or protector splinters off from your personality and says, I'm going to help hide this person. I'm going to keep the core you from finding the exile, mm -hmm. to keep the exile safe so that the wound doesn't grow any bigger, and to keep you from even noticing that there is a wound at all. The firefighter or rescuer's job is to deal with anything that might get past the manager to the exile. So they're literally putting out the fire of the uh, exile having to deal with some pain yeah and the point again is so that you don't have to notice the exile at all because the exile wants to stay hidden because it's it's managing your pain for you it's a form <laughs> of um what's that word where you uh separate everything off compartmentalization all right you might cut this but i because it's not super related to what you want to tell i'm just really curious like mm-hmm what is the biological imperative? Like, what is the biological survival. damage? It's what survival? Right? I mean, like, biologically, what damage or threat to survival exists from a traumatic memory? I believe it's a fight or flight response. And unfortunately, because it's in the mind, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. An and unhealthy so you, psyche will lead to an unhealthy everything else. So you just get in this adrenaline loop and the adrenaline... Too much adrenaline causes a lot of damage to the body. It's dumping cortisol, which also has a negative mm. impact on your yeah. testosterone. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm not a trained professional, so unfortunately I don't right. I don't know. Just slap a big asterisk on <laughs> With With that. talk therapy, you do a lot of talking about mental health and learning about mental health. It's almost like taking a private lesson in college about mental health. Like giving yourself the tools. Right. Right. But not just giving yourself the tools. It's literally learning psychology, huh. how the cool. mind works, why yeah. it works the way it does. But with this kind of therapy, it's very, it's more clinical. It's more, I guess you might even say surgical. It's more about doing the process than learning and talking. Mm. So we don't have time to really talk about why everything is the way it is. Yeah. So in this even case, though I love it. Yeah. So later. Yeah, maybe. And that could be a student segment. Sure. But in this case with IFS, you categorize the subpersonalities that exhibit themselves as you're processing this memory. Kind of, yeah. So I'm listing out the emotions and he's able to say, 
that emotion belongs to an exile, that emotion belongs to a manager, that one to a firefighter. And then he says, okay, I want you to focus on this emotion, which is an exile emotion. As we do this, someone's going to come out of the woodwork to stop you from reaching the exile. That's right. That's the point. We need to get all of the firefighters and the managers to trust us and what we're doing to let us into the exile. Then we have to win the exile's trust. Okay. So that, okay. Okay. So you're getting the trust of the people protecting you so that you can eventually get to the exile and and turn it. And so talk to, to the exile and see what they need to heal. Got it. And heal that exile. Cool. What? Can you visualize a wound for the exile? Oh, don't and worry. Can it always be an arrow in the knee? No, no. way. Did you get to an exile? <laughs> I did. Oh, okay. Let's I go. I've, let's I've, do I've, this. I've talked to an exile. So, Which just earlier this week, you had not yet. Correct. This, so this, this happened is, on Friday. Yeah. Two days ago. days ago. So this first session of IFS, I'm, I'm concentrating on this emotion that he told me to. And he says, find where it is in your body. Find where you feel this emotion in your body. It's such an interesting thing to me. I know. Well, like my body has always been like breaking and malfunctioning and I've never been particularly coordinated or athletic. That marching band story, that's <laughs> as athletic as I've ever been. That's, <laughs> dang it, buttons. That's because you're, this is your next life and before you used to be a smaller person. Oh, right. So you're just not used to this body yet. Right. That's what Button says. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because oh. he's a big guy and really oh, I see. Oh. Okay. 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 So anyway, yeah, it was kind of weird for me trying to find the emotion in my body, but I did. I found it kind of like right right above my sternum This hmm. is where I felt any kind of physical sensation with the emotion. So I concentrated on that spot and on the emotion and the place where I was in the memory. He, sorry, Alex was pointing to his sternum, like dead yeah, center. Yeah, just, just above my sternum, yep. Yeah. I mean, I did say it. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's so much editing for this. <laughs> it's all good. So I focus on it. And as I do, the place where I'm at in the memory, which is a real physical place, you know, just like where I was when this event took place for real skis, uh, it, it morphs and stretches into a long, dark hallway. And I just know that the exile is at the end of that hallway. It does this on its own. I mm -hmm. swear I am not trying to make anything happen because I'm super skeptical of this entire thing. So I'm trying to follow the emotion. I feel like I'm being pulled down the hallway through yeah. a string coming out of my sternum where that, where that I feel that pain. Like I can feel like a strand coming out of it. And I'm like trying to pull myself down this strand, which is exactly how, uh, a high level spell in D and D works. You can, <laughs> you can separate your uh, astral form from your body, and there's a tether, an astral tether between your astral form and your body. So you can get back to your body. Nice. Um, but that tether can be severed, and then you're screwed. But anyway, so I didn't even think about that until right now. So I don't know why this imagery came to my mind. But what if a protector tries to sever your tether? I'm sure you'd be fine. <laughs> as long as you don't leave this uh, plane of existence. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no Doctor Strange stuff going on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm following it. And I don't get particularly far when someone steps out into the hallway from 
a room that's attached to the hallway. Mm -hmm. And strangely, he looks a lot like Eddie Munson from Stranger Things 4. The uh, hairband, Metallica, uh, Metallica slaying, mm-hmm. uh, D&D, D&D uh, dungeon master from season four of Stranger Things. Who, by the way, sacrifices himself. He does. True that. Spoiler alert again. Good Boy, call, lots of spoiler alerts here this week. That's like three. <laughs> yeah, point, if, if you're not up on season four, that's that's. But I mean, you, you know, Eddie Munson, Man, legit character. just puts himself on the line. Uh-huh. Ultimate sacrifice to protect everyone else. I'm really sad he's gone. I would have loved to get a lot more, but hey, you never know, right? No, there's no way they're bringing him back after Billy or uh, um, Bobby, Billy Bobby Brown, Bobby Billy Brown, Bobby Bobby Billy Brown, uh, the Bobby actress Brown. that plays Eleven, Millie Millie Bobby Brown. Thank you. Good grief! <laughs> after Millie Bobby Brown complained that they don't have the balls to kill off characters completely, oh. there there's no way they're bringing him back. But I loved. Wow, I love that well, character. Nice, so nice for you, Millie. You're you know you're yeah, you're eleven. <laughs> your position secure. You just killed. These are people's jobs. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's not like they're gonna pay him a severance package. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this character steps out. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Whatever. And my, I, I tell my therapist that this person has stepped out, and this is what he looks like. He's like, cool, great, awesome. Ask him what his name is. I'm like. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. But in my head, I'm like, okay, uh, what's your name? And what I feel like I hear is like chuckling. (laughs) Stoner. I'm like, what the crap? No, 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 no. First, first off, the sensation of hearing that at all was absolutely bizarre. (laughs) <laughs> because I knew it came from in my mind, but did not come from me. Huh. But I'm like, no, your name cannot be Stoner. That doesn't make any sense. I've never used recreational <laughs> drugs of any kind. Why would there be a subpersonality named Stoner inside of me? What is your name? And after a little while, he finally relented and said, Steve. So I told my therapist that his name was Stoner Steve. And he's like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Writing that down. <laughs> Which is so weird. So since, good. Since you remember him looking like Eddie, but his name didn't come out as Not Eddie. Exactly. This, the, but enough for you to make that connection, you know. But like, it's a totally sure, yeah. non-connected name. Honestly, yes. This gets Steve. a little bit weird and might be uncomfortable for people in the family. I don't know. Honestly, I think it might be Uncle Steve, hmm. but dressed like he was an eighties glam, glam rock fan. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Truth. Which he might have been. I, I, I don't know. Hmm. So he, my therapist says, ask him how old he is. Ask him how old he thinks you are. And uh, some other questions. And I ask him these things, none of which he doesn't know how old I am. He doesn't know where I'm at in life. That's weird. He thinks I'm stuck back in this memory, basically, which is probably to be expected. That's when he splintered huh. off from the core is when I was about that age. So that's his only frame of reference of time and he's been busy with other things he's he asks me to ask him what his job used to be because something i haven't explained yet is these sub personalities are not just right. ethereal personalities they were a part of your original functionality as a human being they had a purpose they they are literally a part of you and since losing that personality that part of your functionality has diminished so i ask him and he says i'm your smarts man 
okay, can you be a little more specific? That, that could mean a few things. And he's like, you know what I'm talking about. I'm your ability to make connections between things that seem like they're not related, but totally are. I'm your ability to learn things because that was how you learned things was making these weird connections. I'm your smarts. I'm your intelligence. And I was like, yeah, I guess I do know what you mean. So, you know, I tell my therapist, you're always telling your therapist all of these interactions. I'm supposed to thank him for everything that he's done for me, show him a lot of appreciation and love and compassion and you know, ask him if this new job is really what he wants to be doing. And it's not. It's never what these subpersonalities want to be doing. They, they want to be doing enough. Yeah. No one ever. <laughs> they don't. Like their job is to stay hidden, you know. It's like a media tech. <laughs> Can't get promoted. You just get yelled at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why the, the, the whole model is called internal family systems, because principles of family therapy apply to these personalities within you. It's oh, absolutely bizarre. I was wondering what that, okay. You need to be, basically, you need to be like the older sibling or the dad or the mom and love these parts, lead them when they need it, which we'll get to in a little bit. It's wild. So I'm thanking him, you know, blah, blah, blah. We end the session. Uh, in another session, we asked Steve if he could introduce me to another part that he knows. Oh, by the way, for anybody that's really interested in all of this, the book on IFS written by the doctor that uh, came up with it is called No Bad Parts or No Bad Part. I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I'm, his name is Schwartz. I've watched some videos on YouTube now and he always refers to them as parts. Yeah, parts. Mm -hmm. okay. Steve... I'm I'm back in, in that hallway, basically, uh, with Steve, and he kind of holds out his hand, and this little kid comes out into the hallway. Oh. He looks like he's between four and six years old. He's wearing a pale blue onesie, footy pajama type thing, okay. and has a teddy bear. And uh, Steve kind of puts his arm around him as the kid, like, sort of hugs his leg. I'm like, what the freak this is steve when do you get a family so weird. <laughs> uh when the trauma happened to me that's when, that's when got a family. um so i ask this little kid all of the same questions i asked steve his name is patrick patrick don't know why he's a very sad pitiful little guy he thinks he's six years old he thinks i'm six or seven he doesn't know which and he was the part of me that saw everybody as a friend in potentia. I, I used to, when I was a lot younger, I didn't look at people the same way I look at them now. Literally everyone was just a friend that I didn't know yet. I guess you could say I was a lot like uh, Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. <laughs> and Perkins. Uh, in, that, in, in that regard, anyway. Are these parts the age that you were when the trauma that they're associated to happened? Potentially, yeah. So I, I don't know for a fact, but is, that's what makes sense. Is Steve like a teenager? Right. Steve was 17 and thought I was 14. Thought you were 14. How interesting. Okay. He specifically wanted to be a little older than me. <laughs> to be like the older. Which, which is why uh, which is why my mind thought this is Eddie Munson. Because all of his mm. friends were younger than him and he yeah. felt a need to like take care of them and teach them and Yeah. Uh, okay. And he's a manager slash protector. Correct. So that makes sense. Yeah. This little guy, Patrick, Patrick, he's a firefighter. Oh. He's the part of me. So he was the part of me that wanted to be friends with everybody. You might say he's my charity. But his current job was 
he was basically the part of me saying, uh, this is too much. It's time to kill yourself. Mm. Just oh, a very gotcha. unwise, juvenile, illogical response yeah. to what's going on. Just a kid who doesn't know other ways to handle things. So Yeah. It's time to make this all stop. Wow. Which I've come to learn now after getting into the exile that they're a f- part of a family with that a lot of my anxiety just in general came from Patrick. Hmm. But so these two are two are partners. Yes. He's the manager they're, and yeah. the, the fire, firefighter for the same exile. As far as I understand so far, there's still a lot I don't understand because as I said, we don't get to talk about the science of all of this and how it really works. Right. You're in a family system. That's it. You don't really know other systems. I might be wrong about that. Like on a memory by memory basis or a emotion by emotion basis. The problem with PTSD is that it's like a concussion. You get PTSD and other experiences in life later that shouldn't necessarily be traumatic are traumatic. So you, you have really? a bad enough trauma to begin with and future things, You're more it's, it's a lot easier to be traumatized oh, wow. in the future. That's, that's another unfortunate response. That's because of these personalities. They're, they're just like to, primed for they're it. They're like, oh, that's not good. I need to do something about that. Hmm. Where if they weren't there to begin with, that reaction wouldn't be there. And that less traumatic memory might not have been traumatic at all. Interesting. Um, I think that's when you're dealing with CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> so we talked to Patrick and I'm trying to ask him to please stop what he's doing. I appreciate everything he's done. You have to go in with a lot of appreciation and thankful. What has that guy done? (laughs) He's had good intentions of trying to keep me safe from pain, even if it was really destructive and and hurtful. But he was doing his best. And I'm sure you thank him for the main function that he had been performing up to that point too, right? Like you were so good at making me friendly. I actually no, I haven't done any of that. Oh, that hasn't okay. been remind them of how good they were at their job. I have done that later. Okay. Cool. When it was time to start really winning them over. Yeah. But at this point I'm like, I know you care. It's <laughs> it's been great that you've been caring <laughs> and doing your best. Would you mind please not doing this anymore and maybe returning to your old job? And he's like, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I got it. This is a big deal. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I'd really appreciate it if you stop. <laughs> your, your way of, of going about things is kind of counterproductive there, yeah. bud. Yeah. But that's kind of the response to be expected until the exile has been healed. Oh, right, right, right. Because they can't stop until... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. In another session, I, I decide that I want to try moving on to a different network or a different family system. What I think in my head is a different family system. Right. And I think this because I don't know who the exile involved with these two really is. I think I do, but I don't. And I, oh, right. We asked Steve what he thought I needed in, in life. And he said that I needed more music. Oh, yeah. Oh. So in another session, I said, okay, let's maybe try leaving them uh, alone. And I have huge anxiety when it comes to practicing at home. I just can't do it. Which I remember you getting a um, mute for your trumpet. A couple of years ago? No. At home. At home. Oh, growing well, up. I mean, you, you just have a mute because sometimes it's the music function. calls for a, for a mute. But Oh. It's not just to make it quieter. Right. Well, it is to make it quieter. Well, 
It's to change the sound entirely. It does make it quieter, but I think the point of it is the sound that it the tonal makes. quality. Or something. Yeah, it really changes the the timbre of the okay. of okay. the instrument. Larissa did get me a practice mute, an electric practice mute that has a microphone inside, and really, it doesn't mute everything, but it makes it a lot quieter. And somehow, you have this thing plugged into a tiny little uh, analog digital digital oh, analog ADC. converter. Yes, a deck. Yeah. Digital deck. analog converter. Okay. And it's able to take the weird sound that the that microphone's probably hearing and turn it into totally naturally sounding trumpet and add a couple different types of reverb to it. So if you want to sound like you're what? in a really big hall, you can. If you want to sound like you're in, pra- in a practice room, you can. That's cool. But it wasn't enough. I thought that would fix everything. No one's going to hear me practice. It's great. But no, there's just this anxiety I can't overcome. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, let's let's figure this out. If I need more music, let's figure this out so I can play the trumpet again. And uh, we go to a memory. We list out emotions. He says, go after this emotion. I focus on it. And another figure comes out, but it's a lot more nebulous. I can't really see much of anything. Something in my brain says that this is that this might be a girl that I knew in high school. And so I ask, is this your in name? band, right? Yeah, that I knew yeah. in band. I ask, is this your name? And uh, she doesn't talk with words like Steve did. So I never do. (laughs) 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 Okay, so that's another part. And I thought she was in a different network. Turns out she's in the same network as these other guys. Oh, is she? Do you know her role yet? So she is now the part of me that makes me feel anxiety over practicing to protect me from being judged for practicing. Uh, because practice always sounds bad. So she the exile? No. Okay. No, she's she makes me feel the anxiety that protects the exile. Sorry. To keep me from practicing. He doesn't play, so he yeah. doesn't. So I don't have to end up. So she's a firefighter. No, no, because no. she she doesn't react to the exile feeling pain. She keeps the exile ah, from feeling the pain. Okay. Okay. I'm I know it, it's it's hard to keep straight. <laughs> but she was the part of me that connected my creativity with my emotions. That brought my emotions into my creativity, which is probably why I can't do a lot of creativity without just crying anymore. Like it, I go from zero to a hundred real fast. Mm. You've been on point with Minecraft though. Have you been crying <laughs> while you're playing Minecraft? No, it's just no so beautiful. because it's emotionless. Uh, <laughs> That's <yeah>. emotionless creativity. <laughs> okay. I mean, mine isn't, but I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if she were more integrated, I think I'd probably be able to put more emotion into, like, I don't know, when I sing at church or, you know, other things without not being able to handle it at all and just crying, which still happened even when she was probably integrated. But anyway, so that was another part this Friday, a couple of days yes. ago. Yes. Uh, I say, I don't know what I want to do. And he's like, well... You feel good about Steve and Patrick and how well you know them? I'm like, yeah, I do, actually. Oh, a, a quick an- weird anecdote that has helped me gain more of a relationship with Steve. Larissa and I were out for a walk, and uh, I see some flowers, and I'm thinking out loud, man, I used to know what those flowers were called. I really like them. And Larissa says, well, why don't you ask Steve? And so uh, Larissa is my wife. So I say, okay, how about it, Steve? What, what's it called? And immediately the answer came, Liatris spicata. And I immediately knew it was right, too. 
I had learned that in a class in college. Well, which class Floral was that? Design. Floral design. Yeah. Okay. The Just class that, that uh, out there. two out of the three of us took it. Yeah. So. Wanted to get that out there too. Yep. Okay. Uh, I mercilessly made fun of Jacob for taking that <laughs> class. Uh, I was a different person and I feel really bad about it now. <laughs> I still feel great. So I don't love everything about that person I used to be, but uh, yeah, it was a fun class. I don't remember most of the flower names anymore though. Yet. Nope. But. That, that one did yeah, come. Who knows? I mean, you didn't know yeah, Steve bring true. it all back. It's true. Uh, if I can fully integrate Steve back into my mind, maybe I'll remember a lot more. That's my hope anyway. Yeah. I feel like I've been getting dumber and dumber for quite a few years now, <laughs> so I'm hoping you can help out with that. But uh, Before you go full-blown full, full blown Jim Carrey on us. Right. So uh, I say, yeah, I... I I think I've, I feel comfortable with these guys. And he's like, well, do you want to see if they'll let you talk to the exile today? I was like, oh, snap. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's, hold on. Let me let's get my it. game face on. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's try it. So I get back to where I can see and talk to Steve and Patrick. And I'm asking them how they feel about me talking to the exile. Do they have any questions about what might happen? They were both cool with it, so I find that that sensation again, that feeling based on that emotion, follow it to the end of that hallway, and I find the exile. And I'm not going to get into the imagery because I feel like it's a little too intense, but this part doesn't have a different name. They just say they're Alex, which is apparently mm -hmm. pretty normal. And it does look like me, uh, a little different, but I'm not going to get into it. And... Uh, <laughs> My therapist asked me where he is, and he says, can you get down there with him? So I, I, I already was, so I said, I already am. He says, okay, will he let you hold him? Again, this is all about like family therapy yeah. stuff. It feels weird to be doing it with yourself, honestly, but I think the weirdest thing of all is that they don't feel like they're coming from you, these parts. They really do feel distinct and different, and you, like they have their own minds. But that they really are a part of you at the same time. It's a very, very surreal. It's hard to explain. Anyway, I'm holding this part. And he, my therapist asks, like, I ask him all the same questions. Age, what he's doing, what he was doing. Uh, he was my imagination and creativity. That's what he was doing for me. But he took the wound to keep me safe. My therapist asks if I can see the wound or ask him to show me the wound. So he does show me and it's this almond or narrow football shaped wound right at the sternum, right where I felt that emotion uh, that, that led me to yeah. it. it was really weird. It was just like this open wound. It didn't really look like it was like bloody or anything. It more looked like a hole, like a black void. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my therapist tells me to ask him where he wants to go to be healed. And he wants to go to my high school band room. <laughs> so, so we go there and he wants my old band director, Mr. Pham, in his office while we're doing this. And I tell my therapist that. And he's like, I was just about to ask if he was going to ask for any assistance of any kind. He tells me to ask him what he needs to be healed. How does he want to be healed? And apparently normal answers are water, 
fire, light, things of that nature. But I knew that wasn't going to be it. I, I kind of knew right away what he wanted. He wanted me to put the bell of my trumpet over the wound and play a solo that I had my senior year. That solo was in a song written after, I can't remember which, school shooting incident. He wanted to create a song to heal that community. I think it was Columbine. Well, yeah, I think that was mm. the, the one. So uh, the song's called An American Elegy. Oh, I know that song. He went to the high school. He talked to people. He wanted to use part of their fight song, the high school's fight song, in the song. They didn't have one, so he wrote them one and then put it in bits and pieces into the, the final song. There are a few solos in it. Two trumpet solos, both of which I had. One is barely a solo at all. It's a single note that, I mean, it is a solo. It stands out above everyone, but it's pretty fleeting. There is an oboe solo that is, actually, I think there's only one oboe solo. Uh, the oboe solo is supposed to be a sibling of someone who died in the shooting, praying to ask if their sibling is okay now. Yeah, you know, like, are they in heaven? Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they okay? And the second trumpet solo is the response. And it is supposed to be played off stage. <laughs> it gives it this omnidirectional and also distant sound. It was a difficult thing for me. Uh, I felt a lot of pressure just because of that imagery. It was a very meaningful solo for me. That's what this part wanted me to do to, to heal it. So I go to my locker, I get out my trumpet, put the bell right over the wound, I play the solo, and it heals him. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it, really. It just, it just does. And he's happy. He's smiling. I ask him if he can feel safe going back to what he was doing before. And he says that he's going to, you know, give it a shot. He'll do what he can. And I bring everyone else in to the memory, the Steve and Patrick and family hug. That's what he told me to do, but it was high fives. <laughs> I'm saying, and fam's like backing up like, uh. No, fam, fam was more like, he wasn't really there. He was in his in office. His office. Yeah. It, was, it was more like, oh. it was, it was, it was more like, uh, like a warding spell kind yeah. of a thing. Okay. He was just, he was there and that made him feel safe. Yeah. Uh, but high fives all around. Everybody's happy. We're gonna we're gonna get back to work doing what we're supposed to be doing. And life has life has felt very different since then. But you kind of expect like this beam of light on your life that's like, oh, I feel so magical. <laughs> and that's not really what it feels like. It feels yeah. it does feel way better, but it's normal because these are your parts. Mm. They're just getting back to work. It feels normal, but different at the same Maybe time. Maybe like a little more capacity yeah. in certain areas. Fogs removed. And like almost an entire lack of anxiety so far. Sheesh. That would be And I thought it would be amazing. startling and like I would have these really positive feelings constantly welling up inside of me, but I don't. It just feels totally cool, totally normal. 
so far. You know, it's only been a couple of days. Yeah, well, I think I think that's a, a I think that's a testament to what really is the reality of like the principles line upon line, right. precept upon precept. Like there aren't, or it's almost like the the big revelatory type moments are right. fleeting. Right. And like it's not a persistent, yeah, benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the long, the lasting things are the ones that they're just a little smaller. Precipitous. Yeah. 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 This, this isn't the, like I said a little bit before, this isn't the end of these parts. Um, and it may not even be the end of the healing needed for these parts. Because now that the exile is healed, there may be some EMDR work that needs to be done mm-hmm. to help process some of the memories that caused the trauma in the first place. To really help kind of put it to bed. and Yeah, they don't cause the memories to get stuck. Right. But they can keep you from processing those memories anyway. They can get in the way of your EMDR. Which is why hmm. these two systems often go together. So have you done anything creative in the last two days since the exile has been healed? Um, I cooked all oh, day yeah, yeah. on Friday. Saturday, the day after. Oh, Saturday. I was really anxious about it. So from time to time, I like Larissa and I like to have siblings, parents over for a four or five course Italian style meal. Still haven't had you guys over <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, I, I struggle kid. with the vegetarian menu. Oh, I mean, I would pressure you into just making us something, but it's been hard to get away from any of the kids. Yeah, or all the kids. Right, but you know, mom and dad are in town now, so hopefully they'd be able to do babysitting for you at some point. Yeah, Larissa got me a book that's considered like the American Bible on Italian cooking, but it's not just about Italian cooking; it's about Italian food as an experience. It's mm, how right. you design a menu correctly, where all the dishes have some connecting theme between them, whether that's an ingredient or the season that the ingredients come from, which is normally how Italians cook anyway. Please tell me it's risotto. Oh, I can totally make you guys a risotto. <laughs> uh, I was planning on doing a mushroom risotto, but then you said, ah, oh, more mushrooms. Vegetarians eat so many mushrooms. I'm tired of mushrooms. Do they Can do. it be tofu? <laughs> like, no. Oh, no, <laughs> I hate tofu. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we were going to have, we had Larissa's, a a pair of Larissa's siblings over, sister and uh, brother-in-law over on Saturday for her half birthday. And they're big foodies. These guys travel a lot. Uh, He's a producer now. He was in Italy not too long ago, like doing some location scouting Oh, interesting. For a movie, I'm like, oh, freak. And and he really knows how to cook, too. He, there are a lot of things that he cooks really well. So I was like, freaking crap. <laughs> this is this is stressful. Pressure. I planned a menu that I thought was going to be amazing, and I thought I totally had it in the bag. I did not. But I was really anxious until that session. I was like, no worries, brah. I got this. I tried to make arancini for the first time. Did not go well. I should have been panicking. I didn't. I just said, this isn't working, so we're going to skip this course. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't matter what else I made. Everything else after that was really good. And it was really fun. And And anxious-free. Yeah. Anxiety-free. Anxiety-free. But standing on the hard kitchen floor all day for those six hours with four of the hours being really intense in the kitchen, juggling all of the dishes, cooking at the you same time. You should not juggle dishes. It's, <laughs> you're going to break something. <laughs> Trying to keep everything cooking at the same time, but so that this finishes at the right time. Yeah. And, and, and then we can just move into this course while also trying to chat with everybody. And Oh, they were over... 
they were over we while you were doing this all this. table in the kitchen to have like a chef's table kind of experience oh, where crazy. I'm cooking and talking with everybody at the same time. We're drinking uh, apple and grape Mart- Martinelli's, eating bread when there's nothing, uh, no other dish on the table at the time, which is what you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to take two hours at least to eat and chat and just let things cook while and while they're cooking, you're, cha- you're talking and Aper- chatting and Aper- enjoying Aper- yourself. experience so, the whole thing. Uh, aperitivo. Aperitivo. That's like an opener. Uh, yeah, we I did that for six hours. Uh, I really enjoyed it, even though it was also really stressful. Yeah. But, but the stress was just, the stress was only, I want to make something really good for you guys. Not, if I don't make something really good for you guys, you're going to hate me and I'm going to die. Yeah, because most people mm-hmm. would have stress in a situation like this anyway. Right. So, it's getting back to a more normal this emotional stress. state. Normal stress. Yeah. Normal human Not anxiety. Stress, not anxiety. Hmm. Uh, I was telling Lizzie the other day, I feel like this is something she needs to explore. uh, That's for her to decide, obviously, but she's totally aware of it. Like she's, she's talked to people that have done it besides me. Yeah. Uh, It kind of freaks her out a little bit. (laughs) She seemed, she seemed more open and receptive. She did recently ask me where I go for this. Cool. For the, for IFS. Yeah. So hopefully she'll, she's looking into it. I think probably Audrey, Heather's sister, you know, she's a, marriage and family therapy therapist. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. She, right. she practices IFS. Mm. She loves it. It's good stuff. Um, it really is. She loves EMDR, but she hasn't been able to like get certified or take courses on that yet. Right. But she thinks they're amazing. Like I can't believe therapies. It's been a little more than a month and I'm already seeing huge gains in, in, in healing. Like I was doing CBT for over a decade. And and didn't get this much. The strides you're taking now, which is not anything wrong with CBT. It's just it wasn't the right treatment for what was going on for me. Well, yeah. It was right at the time, and it like you yeah, know it prepared your land, your mental landscape. Sure. To, yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did open my mind a lot. Because a part of me wonders too. Like, um, so the first things you're unlocking, I don't know how to speak clinically. Sure. Are centered on creativity. And you've been very creativity focused in the last few months. That's true. That might have something to do so with it. So I wonder it. if that like helped prime the pump and everything. Honestly, else. your entire life also though. My, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know STEM has always been close to you too, but your creativity, I mean, the pottery. And I never really saw it that way. See, that's, but yeah, that's I had funny. a CBT therapist for most of that decade of CBT therapy I've done who said, if you're not doing something creative with your life, it's kind of a waste of your life. And I was like, what? Really? Jeez, dude, read the room. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I never would have thought about it that way, probably because my creativity was locked away as an exile. Mm. And other people can see it, but I can't because he's exiling himself. He's hiding himself yeah, on it's, purpose. It's always been clear to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the speed with which I've gotten this healing does have a lot to do with the fact that this network, for whatever reason, this family system was more open to healing. That is not always the case. Right. Some of them are going to be a lot more a resistant. Lot more shut down. You yeah. never know. Yeah. The end. Wait, wait, wait. We have to end in laughter. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Dang it, that's what I was going to do. Oh, shoot. Do it. You're going to do it better. Thank you 
for being our brother. Wow, did that we might just be too energetic, that? though. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll take another run at it then. Okay, for, for being, being our, our brother. brother. <laughs> that the first one was too energetic. <laughs> gotcha. For show notes, rockin' merch, and other brother goodness, check out our website at anotherbrotherpodcast.com. Be sure to come back next week. And tell your friends so they too can become a brother over there, brother over there.